I'll rip your arm off. You what? Get your ass back home, get in the gym, and figure out what the hell you're doing wrong. Why is it called the five-point move? I'm frustrated with the way our Greco guys in the United States are treated because they are good athletes, they are good human beings that, that want to win. we got to help them get there. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Five Point Move podcast. I'm Tim Hans, founder and senior editor of FivePointMove.com. And with me is my co-host for the second week in a row, second week in a row, World Champ Olympic silver medalist Dennis Hall. Dennis, two weeks in a row. It has been, I don't know how long, I don't know when, when the last time we did back-to-back. I think it was, yeah, it's been a long, long time. Well, you got to give the people what they want. What the people want are more five-point move podcasts, apparently. Going on this week is Pan Am's camp that's going to take place. I think the first real day of camp is Thursday. I think they get in Thursday, don't they? Uh, I don't know. I thought they travel days tomorrow, I thought. Okay, well, okay, six and one half. Nevertheless, camp begins this week at the Olympic Training Center for Senior Pan American Games Camp. Nate Engel, in case you didn't know this all, I think you probably knew this, he is taking a group of juniors over to Finland for... It's like it's not a it's not a tournament. It is a series of duels against uh, a variety of countries in and around the region. I think Sweden, Austria, Norway, whichever. I don't know. And then there's I, I think four members of the junior world team going. That would be 55. That'd be Dylan Ragason. Then there is Braunagle at 82. I know he's going. And a couple of others. I, I'll check. I, I put it out in the Monday piece. And TC Dantzler's son, Tommy Dantzler, is going, even though he's not on the team. So that's good. More involvement. Yes. Uh, guests for episode 26 will be, we'll bring them on after the intro. And that's going to be 2018 U23 World Team member Nolan Baker, who took third at the Senior World Team Trials Challenge Tournament. After that, is 2019 U23 World Team member Lenny Merkin, who I have already recorded, by the way. So that is a hall-less interview, in fact. Uh, getting back to Nolan Baker real quick, or at least getting back to the Senior World Team Trials Challenge Tournament and the third place, you don't call Nolan Baker a national team member because he's not a national team member just because he took third. It's that rule where if... You lose to the guy who lose lost in the finals, even though you took their, you know, get another match, another opportunity to make national team. I, uh, we've never cracked this open. I don't even think we've cracked this open, like personally on the phone, like morons. You could correct my perception if you disagree with it. I think that sucks. Like, why wouldn't you just wrestle it off? Why wouldn't you just wrestle it all the way off? Because a guy lost to, the guy who loses in the finals, he doesn't get another crack at him. Like, if you're going to wrestle anything off, wouldn't that be the time to where you ignore something like that? I don't get why we don't do it. So so did he lose to the guy that uh, – explain it just a little bit better okay. so I can – Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we this is – you know, this has been a procedural thing we've had in the past. So – Yeah. Okay. Here's what happened to Nolan Baker – 
and it happened to a few others, obviously, at the Senior Trials Challenge tournament. Nolan Baker lost in, I believe it was the quarterfinal, to Hayden Tuma. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So he loses to Hayden Tuma. He goes to the backside of the bracket, sweeps, sweeps his way through it, wins in the yep. quote-unquote third-place match. But yeah. because he had already lost to Tuma and Tuma lost to Jamel Johnson in the final, that's it. So your national team in that case is Ellis Coleman, Jamel Johnson, and Hayden Tuma. You, yep. you don't wrestle it off. And my thing is, is then why are we doing it? Then why, like you have, it's first off, I don't. Then why, why do you wrestle back to third uh, at that tournament? I, I get that, you know, I, it's a tough call. You know, I mean, he lost to him in a tournament. I, you could go either way. I could, I mean, it won't matter to me, but, um, you know, it, it's the way the rules are right now. And unless they change that, you know, the the bottom line is they, with the challenge tournament and the way the challenge tournament is, it sets up for the final X and, and, you know, they want to have a third place finisher, I guess, at that tournament, which, you know, really doesn't mean anything because that doesn't put you on the national team. So it's, you know, I, I see your point, but, you know, I mean, reality is is they didn't even have to wrestle back for third or i I guess they do because then if the guy that is is second this is where you're catching the place guy this is where you're catching the web right here is because you know you're going to have to you know you're wrestling them all off it's just that when those third place matches are over with and the finals matches are over with. Then you see, okay, who, who, which weight classes are eligible for a national team wrestle off? Yep. And it's like, so in that, so in other words, if a match takes place, let's say, uh, off the top of my head, what weight classes were there actual national team matches? I think seventy-seven was one. So in, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that. It's a you create a waiting game, right? You create a waiting game this way. Yeah. And yep. it's like, okay, well now we now all the finals have been decided. Which which guys who took runner up in the finals beat the guy who won their third place match cuz then we know we don't have to run those back again. Yeah. I just no, I, I don't agree. see an argument for it. I don't see an argument for it. That's my point. I see an argument against it and it's not just myself. Other people feel the same way I do. Not that that means anything, but I mean, like, I just, we we wrestle back these, you know, Schultz tournament and all these other tournaments. It's like, we're going to wrestle back to third. And it's like, well, actually, I don't even think, no, yes, we wrestle back to third. We don't wrestle back to fifth, sixth and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. But nevertheless, the point remains the same. It's like we do this at all these other tournaments, but we don't do it at the at the Trials Challenge tournament. How? Like at this? Why is the rule different now? Like what? Yeah, especially when you want to create depth and you want to say, oh, you know, these guys could all beat each other. Or, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, what if a guy loses to somebody in the quarterfinals? Or see, I'm, I'm. You don't believe in this, and every time we get into it, you get, you get argumentative. 
I'm somebody who believes in the banana peel effect. And as a guy has a bad match, and now all of a sudden he's screwed. Like, he doesn't even get a shot to, to wrestle back for national team. I mean, but that that's at the World Championship. No, I mean, you I'm go talking to about here. Champ- no, I get it. But hear me out. You know, you, you go to the World Championships, you have a bad match, you lose the guy, and then that guy loses. You know, and, and you could be the third best guy in the World Championships, but you're out of the tournament. That's true. You know, I mean, true wrestlebacks are the only way to really determine who is truly the third best in a in a weight class. Right? You know, I, the thing they did right back in the early 90s and midway through the 90s is they had true wrestlebacks. It was a college bracket system, and it was the most fair system out there. Well, we touched on this last week, and it's it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing on a much bigger scale. Yeah. I mean, in in college, guys, you know, you get to wrestle a guy again if you wrestle back to him. You know, I mean, I agree. there's no harm in it. If, if the guy's going to be better, you know, why not have that extra match? It's going to make both guys better anyway. If he's so good, he's going to beat him again. So then what are we complaining about? You know? Yeah. This whole sport is about proving it, right? To to an extent. Prove it. Okay, well, beat him again then. Yeah. I I don't know, man. It's it's emasculating almost. It's just ridiculous. Pan Am Games Camp. Pan Am Games Camp. And I guess you could look at it one or two ways. You could look at it while the Pan American Games are... Of course, an, an event that is elevated in the eyes of our national governing body, in the eyes of the United States Olympic Committee. It's a big deal. Also, you could look at it as it's essentially serving as the kind of the warm-up tournament pre-Worlds, in effect, anyway, I would say. Yep. Tell you, you better be looking at it a little bit different, too. Explain. Want to hear why? Exactly. Yes. Go. You know, uh, if if for some reason we don't qualify at uh, the world championships in a weight class, we're going to have to figure out how to beat the Cubans. So it's another crack at the Cubans, and and uh, you know we we got to learn from it when we wrestle. We got to figure out how to beat them because in order to make the Olympic Games next year, you're going to have to beat the Cuban at the Pan Am, Pan Ams. That, of course, is assuming that the Cubans don't all qualify at uh, the Worlds. But yeah, not a chance. No, I no, there's not. I mean, there's not a chance. That's a good if they have six guys qualify, I'll be really, really surprised. Even the most dominant country in the world, I don't think, qualifies all six weight classes. Not with the way it's set up this year. You might be right. Do you think... That this camp taking place, just as so far as the the training plan and everything else, this camp is taking place now. The Pan Am's game, Pan Am Games camp, excuse me, taking place basically from this week for another week and a half after, or whatever it is, essentially. And then, you know, you have some stuff in between, and then you're going to have the Pan Am Games itself, uh, early August, and then. You know, later on in August, you're going to have the world team camp, world team camp, 
itself at, in Colorado Springs. Do you think that this is a suitable workload in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, was, I did it. I did the Pan Am games in uh, '95 and '99, and, and went to, to the World Championships. It's you know, it is what it is. Um, you know what? You just got to get some long rides and know that that you're going to be busy and, and enjoy it. And and the Pan Am Games are a fun uh, competition because all the sports come together and, and you're able to kind of hang out with different athletes from different sports. So it's kind of a cool experience. It's a mini Olympics. Yeah, I was just about to say it. I've heard you say that before. It's like a mini Olympics. Do you hop around in 1995 and 1999? Do you hop around and watch different events and stuff like that? Actually, you're so busy just getting ready and focus. At least I was. I just getting ready and focusing on, you know, a competition. You know, I, I'm, I didn't really see any other competitions, to be honest. You know, usually cutting weight or just getting my weight down and, and after we got done, you, you head out, I guess, from the Pan Am Village. So, not really. It was just go get business done and get, get back home and get ready for whatever's coming next. Yeah, I think about it. You know what I'm really into? I, I bet you are. I don't know when I got into this. I think it was a couple of Olympics ago. I don't, I, I don't know if it was 2012. Is uh, and you this you think that this would be automatic, but is uh, archery? Yeah, no, archery would be cool. Yeah, you see that. I, I mean, I, I do bow hunting myself, so I enjoy that. Um, it's something that's you know it takes a lot of a lot of uh, practice and effort, you know, and just discipline, I guess. So it, it would be cool to watch archery. Well, it's just, I think it's something easy, easy you can, like, you can, easy, it's easy for anybody to understand. You know, you don't have yeah. to be some kind of archery expert to appreciate it. And, uh, every Olympiad, everybody becomes a, a, an expert at gymnastics when they're watching it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool though. That's cool. I'm not, I'm not bitching about it. Okay. Anyway, we move on. We move on a little bit. You're camping right now, right? You got a lot of camps going on uh, this week. Yeah, I got uh, a camp in the town that I live in, and then uh, got a camp uh, in Casino, Wisconsin, at the Bahamian um, Indian School. And yeah, on Thursday and Friday, and then next week I'm in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, doing camp down there for five days. So busy, busy couple weeks. You've been coaching for, uh, you know, however long, a long time. And yeah. you've done millions of camps, millions of clinics, have run millions of wrestling practices, have done however many camps with seniors, working privately with seniors and all this other stuff. Do you ever, in the middle of a camp session or a clinic or whatever you want to call it, do you ever just stand there and, like, find yourself bored out of your mind? Not really. I, cause I, I make the kids think, uh, I teach a lot different than I did when I was younger. Um, today, uh, we were working on two on one, uh, stuff and I had guys grab the wrist of the, 
uh, guy that had the two-on-one, and I just had him playing around with a few things, and it was kind of interesting. I actually learned a couple things to it. I took video from some of the athletes, and I showed some. I showed one thing that I saw, and took a video on it, so I remember it. And yeah, it's it's just constantly learning as a coach. And if if you don't do that, you know, then you might as well walk away from the sport because uh, you know people want to learn, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get the athletes to learn how to learn for themselves instead of being spoon fed technique. I, I want people to be able to chain three, four or five things together and figure out how to score. You know, the ultimate uh, goal in wrestling is to score points and, and win by having more points at the end of the match. So, you know, these, these young athletes, instead of teaching them move by move, that doesn't work because there's 10 blocks in a way teach them how to figure out how to beat everything. When you do something for as long as you've been doing it, I think that is the not only the the most effective approach, it's probably the healthiest approach. Yeah, I mean, the kids had fun today, too, because, you know, I show them a few things from it, but then I say, hey, okay, what can you guys come up with? A, a guy uh, came up with a really nice double off of that position I was talking about in it. I said, okay, he's like, do you think this will work? I said, do it to me. He did it to me, and it felt like a freight train was hitting me, and he's only 105 pounds. So I'm like, yeah, that will work. Start start practicing it. Keep keep working on it. So it was cool. I mean, these guys see that, you know what, you can teach coach something, and coach has been in it 43 years. This kind of surprises me because you, I look at as a taskmaster kind of guy. But it's, yeah. but it definitely seems like you have that side to you where you encourage creativity. Yeah, for sure. You know, when guys are creative, they work hard. When they're when they're being spoon fed stuff, they don't think. They go through emotions. They get sloppy, and it drives me crazy. So I want to keep them as creative as I can keep them. You know, as long as they're working and, and trying and, and figuring things out from good position, you know, I'll call bullshit bullshit when I see it, if they ask me something, but you know, I say nice thought process. So, you know, I like, I like the way you're thinking and I try and get them to keep thinking for, you know, until we move on to the next thing. Okay. Well, we're going to move on to the next thing. We're going to bring in Nolan Baker. So stay right with me. Joining us now is 2018 U23 world team member, Nolan Baker, everybody knows Nolan Baker, the most, I, I, you know what, I don't care, I'll say it, definitely the most exciting. <laughs> we'll say one of, come all base still out there. Look, at <laughs> breath, breath of fresh air with Nolan uh, the last couple of seasons. Now, he has age group experience and everything else, Fargo, whatnot, but it's different at this level, so it's been a pleasure watching Nolan progress as rapidly as he has, and he has also made a pretty huge decision that is he will be heading out west to Colorado Springs and the Olympic Training Center. Uh Nolan, what brought you to this decision especially since we we covered this in the podcast last week Colin and I. You know, we talked about like hey, I mean your yeah. dad told me. Like your dad mm-hmm. told me. Nolan's only doing this because he loves it and because he's having fun. If this wasn't fun for him, he wouldn't be doing it. You must really be having fun doing it if you're going to go ahead and commit to becoming a full-time athlete. So if you could, walk yeah. us through this. 
Yeah, obviously, like even like since I'm little, like when I was probably seven years old wrestling, I just like throwing guys better than grabbing legs. It's just like at this point, even though I've been wrestling folk style forever, you know, I, I was a state champ in high school and obviously I've I've had some limited success at the D1 level. It just feels like fish out of water. So it's always way more fun when I get to go out there and wrestle Greco because I like actually feel like I know what I'm doing. Like I might win in folk style, but I don't feel like I really, you know. I'm like the one that is better at wrestling, but when I win in Greco, I feel, you know, like I actually belong. And really there's been two sharp turns now in my, my Greco progression. Cause we always did it, you know, growing up. Um, I started, we started in like fifth grade or something like that. And so, you know, it was always something that we did and we knew that I was better at, better at throwing. And then obviously the first sharp turn was last year at U23s because when we went into, the tournament, it was the week before the tournament, and my dad asked me, like, hey, are you sure you want to do Greco? You know, I don't want to make you feel like I'm forcing you to do Greco just because I signed you up. I was like, no, it's fun. I'll do it. And, you know, I just wanted to get on the uh, award stand, like we talked about last year in one of our interviews. Paul, you don't know this kid. This kid is he's he's a maniac. So, like, he doesn't know who anybody is. Like, he doesn't know. <laughs> like, in the finals, he had track wrestling. <laughs> in the finals he had demas and it's like wow you know like like that's a like what a talented guy demas is yeah. and i'm asking him like afterwards hey you know what like what was your approach and knowing how good and he was like nah you know like i really you know i saw his name and i knew he was probably pretty good and like all this other stuff i was like dude this kid's out of his mind well that that goes like hand in hand i was so focused on just getting on the podium because when i with the, the way the bracket was set up if I would have lost both matches, I would have still gotten eighth, and that was like nightmare scenario. I was like, I have to at least get seventh because I don't want to <laughs> literally fall into eighth place. And so I was so focused on wrestling Britain Holmes first round and getting on the podium, I didn't even see that Demas was in the bracket until we were both in the semis, and I was like, oh, okay, now you know even more uphill battle. But so then obviously winning that tournament was like, oh crap, I get you know I guess. Obviously, I'm a real contender at this because this was, you know, nationals and here I am at the top. So that kind of gave me like a thought like, OK, I'm, you know, I'm back in the scene on this because I hadn't All-American the last two years at Fargo. So I kind of thought that I was on the out. But then, you know, I won that. So that just amped the motivation back up. And, you know, I was having fun doing it. And then, um, you know, that kind of just, you know, enthusiasm about the sport and just wanting to take it where I could, you know, with giving, you know, full effort kind of took me into this off season where, you know, I in like on the senior level, I had obviously way more success than last year. Cause I didn't even try last year. Um, and then a little less success at U 23s, but I mean, wrestling a guy like Omania, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. So, you know, I, I'm not taking that as a personal hit, just motivation to keep going. And so I was planning on just keep, you know, going on the track that I was going on. And cause obviously it was, it was building me and giving me success. And then really kind of the second sharp turn, happened within like the past week here we got you know the call from Lindland and said hey we got a bed you know obviously we'd love to have you out here you're the kind of guy we want to add to the program but if you want to do this stuff has to move fast because we got other guys that are obviously chomping at the bit that would love to get out here so I had a tough decision to make in a short amount of time but you know I made the pros and cons list I thought it all through I didn't I made as prolonged of a decision as I could given the short time period and I, I really think this is the next you know, the next step that I need to take with my, my Greco career and my wrestling career, if I want to really give my dream a shot, you know, I think it could happen if I were to stay at Northern and keep doing what I'm doing. But if you're a, 
you know, a statistics guy, I'd say this is the statistical best route to go and give it a shot. What about the U23 Worlds? How does that factor in? If only because, you know, I, I understand that you, you you didn't win the U23 Worlds, okay? I get that. Yeah. But yes. you wrestled two really good guys, two really good foreigners, and even in losses, even in your losses, you put up a hell of a lot of points, and you were, you, I think the reason mm. why people kind of connect with you is because you look like you're having so much fun doing what you're doing. I mean, you're on the mat freaking mm-hmm. smiling and like, I mean, not even yeah. in a goofy way, like not a mm-hmm. dorky way, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, so I think people yeah. connect with you and, and then you're going out and viciously trying to score points. And I was always yeah. wondering, and I didn't get a chance to ask you this in, in Raleigh for sure, but what did that experience do for your confidence? If anything, it like, I don't I don't want to say it scared me a little bit because scared is the wrong word, but that was the first real shot that I thought I have an opportunity to do something cool here. And that as like, I'm sure I'm not going to come off this way, but I don't want to come off cocky in any regard. Cause for all I know, I might never win another match in my career, but like I, in high school, <laughs> they're and, not you know, banking sort- on that at the OTC. Yeah. I can tell you, <laughs> no, and neither am I, but you know, you exactly. don't want to put out things you can't win. I'm just like in high school, I would, I was real hesitant in like what I thought I could do. Like I'd always get real nervous before matches. Like I'd like one year I pinned a kid in 17 seconds in a dual meet. And then we had him the next year at the same team. And I was so nervous for like even that kid. And I was like, I need to get some confidence up or what, you know, like that's just the way I think about wrestling. But worlds was a special experience. And that when I came off the mat, I remember telling my dad, if I have 10 times to wrestle that tournament, I can win it. Like being able to score points on those guys, obviously they scored them right back on me, but I was in the kind of battles with those guys that I legitimately felt a couple coin flips that go my way. I, you know, I'm on top of this and then the kid, uh, the kid that I put on his back went and got silver and could have got gold if not for a finger grab, you know? So just from feeling how they wrestle and feeling how I could generate offense, I don't like, I'm not saying they're not killers by any means, but they're definitely not you know, impenetrable. Like I felt confident that I could go out and score again on those guys. So if anything, Worlds taught me, hey, you better make the most of the opportunities you get because obviously that's borderline a once in a lifetime opportunity, but also like there's some real possibility here. If I were to pursue this to the fullest degree, I think I actually have a shot at making something happen. My take first off is that we don't have enough athletes who either score or really, really, really super duper actually try to score sometimes, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that happens in a world level event or a regular overseas event or even a domestic event. We don't have I mean, that's I I don't know if I I don't know why I don't know where this all originated. Certainly wasn't Mm -hmm. the Greco I came up loving as a, you know, uh, you know, a a kid and all that stuff, but that's where we're Mm -hmm. at. And so I think that's one thing working in your favor. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul, uh, let me kick this to you. You heard what he said. Uh, you heard everything he said about his, what he learned about foreign competition, that these people are not put on a pedestal in his mind. That seems like something you would identify with. Yeah. I mean, but. You know, you you can't put them on a pedestal, but you got to figure out how to wrestle them. Mm-hmm. And you got to be able to shut them down and, and score at the same time. So it, it's just more time on target with those guys. You know, the more matches you get with guys from overseas, the better you're going to get. You're going to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. And it was it was interesting in that 
if anything, like the atmosphere of the world, like championships or the world tournament that I was at in Romania, like the venue that I was at at least, like gave me the opportunity to really like attack the match from a as much of a tactical standpoint as I can do. Like it was real quiet in there and the stands were real empty. So the atmosphere was literally just wrestling. Like I just looked at the guy and that was the only thing I had to focus on. So when I was wrestling him, like what you were saying, like not only can you not put him on a pedestal, but you got to figure out how to beat him, how they wrestle so different. So like the Azerbaijan guy and the, the Japan guy I wrestled, like both of them wrestled so different. So being able to see those differences more so than just like a weird domestic guy would wrestle, but just getting yeah. to feel their, their pace and their style was interesting. Like the, the Japanese guy's style was way more tight and push and the Azerbaijan guy yep. was real, real loosey goosey, but then explode. And so it, it was interesting to feel those different styles. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and each country has that different style and that's, mm-hmm. that's where you got to, just keep getting overseas as much as you can to different tournaments and and hopefully uh resting the foreigners at the training center that's one big advantage you will have mm-hmm. with being out there and don't be afraid to just go up and grab guys you know yeah. don't wait for other people to grab them i'm telling you that right now mm-hmm. the time foreigners were in the states when i was competing i grabbed them what would be even better if is is if uh Baker had a training partner come and spend three months with him. Right, Hall? Uh, for sure. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you figure out real quick what you need to fix. Okay, Baker, that's that's something that goes a long ways between he and I, that little comment. <laughs> Hall thinks of me as um, a half an ignoramus mostly. And so, <laughs> come on. So what it is is that I'm I'm really into competition, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know why. Just observationally. that's You know what it is? It's easier for me, observationally, to see guys constantly compete against uh, opponents from overseas than it is to, let's say, train with them. Because I'm not inside of training camps. I am not hanging around uh-huh. on uh, against the wall watching. So I think that's where my bias comes in. But I, we had a conversation a couple of years ago on this show, and we've had this conversation numerous times personally. And so once, 20 times, 25 yeah. times out of 26. <laughs> Probably, yes, exactly. And so I one time was bringing it up like, hey, you know, like yeah, these guys got to get overseas more and they got to do this. And, you know, that that seems to be the best way to gain experience. And then Hall like was like, no, what they should do is bring training partners over here. That way they can have them every day in the room for three months though, so they can feel what their lift is like and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and like, so that would, I mean, that would be more effective, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's because Hall's more the pioneer. You're the pi- <laughs> he's the pioneer of bringing people over. Just ship them in. Yep. Bring them over. Bring oh, them yeah. over. That's why <laughs> Paul has a very, very, um, you might be surprised, but he has a very uh, liberal uh, slant on immigration because of this. Just bring in all the foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> when it applies to us, you know, bring them. Hey, <laughs> yep. the, guy, the guys I brought over got citizenship, so hey, you yep. did it right. Did it yep. right. Took it, they came in through the front door. That's what it, exactly. When everybody was all upset a couple like a couple of years ago over um, Trump, and they were like, there was like the he was banning people from coming over, like from like I guess predominantly uh, Muslim countries and stuff like that. And I don't, I stay out of that stuff. I don't care. 
But I remember the one thing I was saying, I was like, ah, you know, some of these are really pretty decent wrestling countries. We should let them in. Yeah, same thing. I remember that coming up with, like, UFC fighters. UFC fighters were throwing a fit because they couldn't go to the cards in the U.S. Yes, that would arise. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's not as cool. Um, <laughs> Nolan, when Hall and I did the intro to this program, to this episode, we were talking about the Raleigh World Team Trials Challenge Tournament, and we were talking about how it bothers me more than it bothers Hall, of course, but talking about how we don't wrestle back all the way for third well we wrestle back for third but if you lost to the guy who took second you don't get to wrestle him off again to you know thereby potentially earn a national team spot and that was the case for you at 67 this year uh there was a couple of th- directions i wanted to go for with that one and that is first and foremost that it's it's a strange thing because you didn't win the u23 trials and yeah. even with that it's like your stock went up Alone because of what you did in Raleigh anyway. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I see it anyhow. Second of all, as an athlete, does that annoy you the way it annoys me or no? It it annoys me in that peace of mind. I'm not annoyed at anybody for not showing up to whatever tournament or whatever. You know, get out to the tournaments you can get out to and compete at them. Um, it's a little frustrating because you want to go up and tell people, you know, I'm fourth on the Olympic ladder. But then somebody that wasn't at the tournament beat you two weeks after. So... There's, you know, an asterisk next to it that I always explain to people because I don't want to be disingenuous. But, um, yeah, it was almost I wish the tournaments would have gone in a different direction so that I could have lost the U23 trials and then had a great showing at the senior world team trials and gone out on a high note. So now there's that little bit of a bitter note left in my mouth after having done the world team trials at the senior level and then, uh, came up short at the U23 trials, but it is what it is. The The thing I've learned about wrestling is it's really what have you done for me lately in terms of what people think of you in the moment. So if you do bad at one tournament, you're going to have another tournament month at, at max months in the future to completely turn it around. You know, people only remember your last performance a lot of the time. So as, as much as I would have liked to go out with the rally performance as opposed to the Akron performance, you know, it is what it is. We're going to have way more chances coming up in the future now. I disagree. I disagree with you because how so? I don't think it matters. I don't. I, I mean, maybe it matters to you personally, but I don't uh-huh. think it matters optically. Uh, what what your performance in Raleigh caught a lot of people's attention. There's no doubt about that. I would say, if not more so, than you basically coming out of nowhere to win in Akron last year. Uh-huh. Um, that's my opinion, and I, I would say that it's a fairly – Well, thank you. That's the opinion I'd like. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I you mean – You know, that, and the other, thing, the other thing people got to take into consideration is you competed two weeks prior to the U23s. That's not an mm-hmm. optimal training cycle. I would agree with that. You know, at the you same know, time – I mean, yeah. it's tough. It's tough to peak two, two weeks later, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, not making excuses, but trust me, I've been in the same situation where, you know, I've been flat at a tournament that was cup two, three, four weeks, even four weeks, you know, for a good training cycle to, for peak, and you need probably a month and a half. You, you got done with Raleigh, and you, you know, you go home, you probably took a couple days off. So, I mean, how many days of training did you have in between Raleigh and and yeah, uh, U23s. Yeah, for sure. Pro- yeah, yeah, we were training pretty similar. 
Because the good thing about that was the rest of my team was ramping up for U23s, so I was able to get back in there with them. But I can definitely agree with what you're saying. I'm not trying to make excuses for myself, obviously, no. but it was a hassle making weight, you know, back to back. I'll give you exactly, that. Exactly, for sure. Definitely. Okay, here we are. I, I don't remember the statistic. I did put something in there. And and look, U23, even this year, I mean, the, you had three great matches with Peyton Omanya, who was one of my favorite wrestlers in the country, comes from a great lineage. He's uh, he's an awesome kid. He's been a, he's, he's a true Greco kid. Really, totally yes. is. I mean, this has been his, his pr- primary style since he was a tot and he represents he represents everything the sport should stand for very well i mean he's passionate and he's a great competitor and the three matches you guys had were awesome so there's nothing i think that would take away from anything you did it's just that raleigh stood out to me because this is not a diss to anybody at u23 and you know what you you wrestled a couple of guys that you i mean certainly you had benji both weeks uh, uh-huh. both tournaments but Raleigh was different because Raleigh's a, a different caliber. It just is. I mean, you look at who you wrestled. I, you know what I find to be interesting, by the way, Nolan, is that it, you wrestled that kid from, I think it was uh, West Point, and you wrestled that kid in Fargo too, huh? Yeah, I wrestled him back in the day. We, we wrestled way back in like, well, I'm not sure we wrestled. I think we were in the same bracket way back in like schoolboy uh, nationals out in Utah. So we'd known them loosely since we were like little kids and then we eventually met for third place at Fargo one year and he pinned me in a headlock and I remember thinking this is what I'm doing to people I was like this sucks <laughs> and so then we we met again in the first round of that tournament so I was like all right here we go here's the here's the tester how good are you you know and so obviously had a had a good show in that first round so that was a nice win to get under my belt after that first round I was like okay if nothing else I've, I've won this one you know Corey Shy, right? Is that his name? Yes. Corey, yep. I want to make sure Shai. I get his name right. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I did. I found that in the archives, but I was impressed with the, those West Point dudes showed up to the open. I don't mm-hmm. know, Paul. Did you pay attention to the West Point guys at the open this year? Uh, not too much. I was just busy coaching. Yeah, I remember we had seen we had seen that he qualified at like the last chance qualifier, the last yeah, chance they military had a couple, qualifier yeah, up here, yeah, up here in PA. And so we were like, oh. Yeah, we were like, oh, Corey Shai qualified. Maybe we'll see him. And then we drew him first round. So we're like, all right, go time, you know. (laughs) These West Point kids that showed up at the Open, some of them were really, really tough. Really tough. Like that, you could tell that they they're not like completely refined and everything else. But gosh, they like they know how to like they know how to fight it out. That's for sure. Okay, so here here we have Nolan Baker. So Nolan Baker is uh, a prolific headlocker. This is what you're identified with, okay? Yeah. Now, you've had to combat – your brother, Nelson, has helped with this very much so. But you've, mm-hmm. you've had to combat the idiotic stigma that a lot of, I think, folk-stylish type of people have, which is, oh, the headlock – you know, it's not it's not a high percentage move. It's not this. Well, you, I mean, anybody who's watching mm-hmm. would obviously see that it's, it's a very high percentage move for you. That's, uh-huh. that's one thing. But what I want to talk about even more so than that, and we have on the line perhaps the greatest Greco-Roman lightweight in United States history, and have him weigh in on it, is the fact that you don't have – it's not like you have a headlock. 
Okay, I'm not saying that. I mean, obviously, yeah, you you have you have uh you have a body lock and you have some other stuff you do. It's you know it's not okay. I get it. I get it. I get yeah. it. But it's the headlock, and mm-hmm. you've talked to this. Hall's interested in this. Is that you have like forty seven thousand different ways that you do that. I mean, we even <laughs> saw that in match two against Omania, the way that you had it from the back, and then you went ahead and, you know, wrenched her, her arms around his head and arm and cranked him right over. I mean, so, like, you, you you hit it from different angles. You hit it in different ways. Let's talk to that for the uh, last segment here. Yeah, so more so, I'm like, I'm sure if you put me in front of a group of little kids and said, teach them a headlock from X position, and you put me in whatever funky position you wanted to, I could articulate a way to do it technically, but more so than understanding the technique of the headlock, because obviously you need, you know, the technique, other than, you know, sagging your feet, keeping them in place and ripping that arm, really, it's just a mentality as, as you know, as simple as that sounds, like at all times, almost whether I'm going to hit a headlock or I'm not going to hit lock or hit a headlock, there's just like a there's like a red light and a green light to put it into words, like in my head. Like if the green light's on, you think, oh, I could hit a headlock from here. And if the green light's off, you go, okay, can't throw it here. Got to hand fight to a place where I can hit it. So whether I'm going to hit it or not, I'm always just trying to hand fight in a way where that green light's on. You know, like if I wanted to hit it right now, I could hit it. You know, I'm always trying to set that up. And at the same time, there's a red light and a green light that's going, can I be headlocked right now? Cause that, you know, that's that I'm well aware that I could get headlocked. So at all times I'm hand fighting and no matter what I'm doing, I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, could I headlock him? Could he headlock me? Could I headlock him? Could he headlock me? And then whenever that green light is go and I think that guy's just slightly out of position, I go, all right, let's try it out. And we just do it. You know, and a lot of times it works because I'm confident that I could hit anybody in a headlock. So I'm willing to try it from whatever opportunity they give me. It's just the willingness to be able to try it. Cause I'm, if the beautiful, the beautiful thing about a headlock is if you hit it right, you get four points and maybe even a pin. So if I lose a headlock and they don't give me the slip, I'm down two points. I can easily make that up if I just go for it again, you know? Obviously that can get you into some trouble with some point deficits, but if the score is zero, zero, I got time to kill. I got six minutes left on the clock. So let's give it a shot. You know, that's where I come at it from. Professor. Yeah, no, he's right. I mean, if if that's what you you're good at, why not go to it? Uh, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. And you're always uh, working to get to that position, which is critical. I mean, you got to go where you're strong. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and and it opens up other attacks for you too. I'm sure of that. So, you mm-hmm. know, I people people know you got to have they're going to react differently, which is going to give you more options for other techniques. When I was little, like I'm a big fan of moves that are explosive, take you by surprise, and allow me to beat guys that I'm not as good at wrestling at. So anything yeah. that is like the equalizer, I'm all for. And when I was real younger, wrestling folk style, that move was the neck wrench or the chin whip for me. I'd catch yeah. everybody when they shot in. But then when I hit a certain age, I realized... There's no technique to this. I like I'm just doing it and guys are bad and I'm hitting it. So once guys started to get good, I was like, okay, this is no longer the right outlet for me to go after with this. So I need to find another move that allows me to beat guys that are better than me, but I can actually get good at it consistently. And then right around that time, my brother got his own headlock and I was like, all right, this is the next one. So I, you know, we we just jumped on the train on that. We're like, we're headlock guys now. And then we just got really good at the headlock. Same thing with the pudge roll in folk style. I'm a big pudge roll guy. What's a pudge roll? 
but basically it's a, it's, rule. Yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> move that heavyweights are, are better to get. Yeah. You just kind of YOLO roll and grab their arm and hope it works. But we, my dad has that technique down to a science. So it works more for us than it does for other people. So wait, yeah, wait, and, wait, and wait, it, wait, wait, go over this again. Cause I, I can't understand what you're, you're talking about. Are you, is this oh, from bottom fat man roll? Yeah. yeah, on bottom. It's if a guy was on top of me in folk style and he has his, his hand on my belly button, I'm grabbing his his uh, wrist, pulling it tight across my stomach, putting my elbow on the mat and then just rolling and hoping oh, he flips right. off. Oh, right. I know that move. I didn't know that's what that was called. I, of course, I, yeah. I. what did we call that in Belleville, New Jersey? I don't even remember. But, yeah, that's something I learned when I was like eight or nine. Right. OK, yeah, I got it. That's 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 one of the moves, too. Every coach says, don't do that. And I'm like, well, if I can do it right, I'm going to do it. If I wouldn't do it, if the technique was bad, but we know the technique, so. Well, if you collapse the arm, and even if you can't roll over or anything like that, at the very least, you knock him off his base, and then you could stand up right away or switch or something, can't you? I mean, exactly. See? Folk-style <laughs> genius. That's oh, what we yeah. got here. <laughs> while we're, before I forget it, while we're on the topic, you know, I don't get that many chances to talk about the headlock, so I like going in on it. I like to think about it. Uh, just in my own mind, and that some of these analogies are going to be stupid that I come up with, but it's different before every match, so that's that's how I'll I'll talk about it. I always think of how realistic it is to hit a headlock on a guy and compare it to some impossible task. Like I'll think before my match, like just some absurd scenario. So like I'll think, here's a like imagine a brick wall in front of you, like a flat brick wall that goes up 300 feet. And then somebody hands you two forks and says, here's your grappling hooks. Climb up that wall. You think there's no way I'm climbing up this wall. This is impossible. Or somebody dropped you in the middle of the ocean and they said, all right, swim back to the, the shore. You go, there is absolutely no way I could ever do that. It's impossible. And now you put in front of you, hey, just go out there and headlock that guy. You go, OK, that's, you know, it's not that hard. You know, in comparison, <laughs> I, just, I just, just headlock. Who cares? You know, so that's where I, I come at it. I think in the grand scheme of things in life and in the world, just grabbing that guy's head and putting him on the mat is not that hard of a thing to do. Obviously, it doesn't always work, but sometimes it does work. So it's positive reinforcement. Well, the head wrap, head wrap is related to headlock, isn't it, Hall, when you say it's kind of like a headlock? Talking where you just overhook it and throw. Yes. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know what a head wrap is. It is essentially a headlock. Yeah, I caught it today at camp. Head wrap. Yes. Yeah. Somebody's got to teach yeah. me the head wrap. I don't even know what this is, but I'm interested. You don't lock your hands. You're overhooking the head, and let's say it's my right arm uh, overhooking your head, and my left arm is overhooking your right arm. Okay? Yep. Like That's uh-huh. it. And then I'm just oh, yeah, I got you. bombing I got it you. back. That's it. Yep. Yep. I got you. I don't even know what we call that desperation rule. I don't know. But no, I mean, I'm last usually year, not adventurous enough to try that one, surprisingly no, enough. Last year, no, you could do, look. Last year, Xavier Johnson. Give up an underhook and, and you can hit it. Oh, I'm all for giving up underhooks, so. <laughs> <laughs> last year, Xavier Johnson in Zagreb wrestled Kareem Kamal from Turkey. He was a two time junior world champion. Okay? And it was a it was a pooled bracket. There was uh, there were I think five guys in the bracket, so they round robined it. And Xavier wrestled this kid the first in his first match, and he got teched by him. Xavier wins one or two matches, and now he finds himself in the bronze match against Kareem Kamal. So he's wrestling him again. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if the, I don't know if it lasted. I don't know if the match went a minute. And Xavier Johnson goes, 
wraps his wraps his arm around the kid's neck, grabs the kid's arm, just hurls him over. And mm-hmm. it's a move that even when I was, you know, I, I don't know, coming out of high school or whatever, it was like one of the only Greco-ish type of moves I was vaguely proficient at. Mm-hmm. And I didn't never had a name for it. Never. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what you, I just, it was just something you did. And yep. I sent, I sent it to Hall. I clipped the video and I sent him the video or whatever. I was like, what do you call this? And he's like, ah, I just call it a head wrap. <laughs> And I was like, all right, there it is. <laughs> and I was like, Funny. okay. Yeah, because you're great using the head to rip it off or to throw them. I don't know. I wish you saw more of it. It's a great move. I know the foreigners do it. Yeah, I love learning about new moves like that. Like every once in a while, you'll just find something that, you know, you're like, oh, wow. Like maybe not comparable to that, but I didn't know. I, everybody calls it the Herman now, if you know what I'm talking about with yeah, the yeah. – uh, yeah, I was—I I didn't oh, know that boy. was a move until Dom Dimas hit me in the finals of it last year, and I went, what the hell? I was like, I don't even know what just happened. Like, I'd be upset yeah. with myself if I walked into something, but I was like, what was that? And then, you know, after he hit me in that, I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what that is. But I was like, I didn't realize they still made new moves. I was like, I, was like, yeah, I guess, I guess that's there now. It's a confusing technique. Everybody's confused by it, especially the officials a lot of times. And I, to be honest with you, I don't blame them because yeah. it depends on how that goes down. You see, uh, I think hey, there was a situation last year in the open between Hayeswinkle and uh, Randy Miranda where that was involved and... Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, uh, is that two red or four blue? And Provisor Rowell last year. Provisor and Rowell last year in the Open as well. That's right. It's twice in the same tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Good thing I'm not good at that move, so we don't have to worry about calls going bad on that one. <laughs> that is something important to kind of bring up, is that you've been a student at Northern Illinois, and now that you are going to the OTC, you are going to continue your educational co- career, your educational concerns, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, what school are you going to, UCCS? Yeah, it's the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. So I'm sure it, it's uh, – usually I'd look more into a school if I was going to be wrestling at the school – but we, we just check to make sure that my career path uh, follows through there, which it does, and I can graduate in a similar time frame. So that was the big thing for me, you know. Credits transferring over all that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Getting all my credits over. Because as much as I wanted to wrestle Greco, I also have, you know, goals outside of wrestling, which is becoming a high school history teacher, and I want to coach wrestling when I'm older. So as long as the end goal was still the same, which it is now, then that obviously made it way easier for us to make the switch. You get meals, too, at this place. You know that, right? Yep. I, we do get meals. They have a great cafeteria there. That's always a highlight, going in there for the camps. Paul, do you like the cafeteria at the OTC? Yeah, it's good. They have good variety of food, and it's free, so it's good. Yep. There it is. Not a lot of times cafeterias can get like old after a while from like when I was a, in my dorms when I was a freshman. But at the same time, coming into my apartment, I am a much worse cook than I thought I was. So it's going to be nice to just have pre-made <laughs> stuff already. Yeah, but yeah. the thing about the OTC is they have uh, clean dietary options. Like, you know what I mean? They have like yeah. mm-hmm. like health healthy options. They also have yeah, like, all over I- ice cream makers and the soft serve machine <laughs> and everything else. But, I mean, they do I have... feel like an old man. I've almost grown out of ice cream at this point, so I'm not worried about that. No, you Unless see, that's, like... that's what you think when, like, you're shaking hands in your early 20s. But then what happens is you get older, you have a couple of kids, and then your complete 
uh, your complete perspective <laughs> of dieting and nutrition happens to take a nosedive. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that happening. I'm sure it will at some point. I'm in the I'm in the good phase right now where I don't want ice cream. I remember, yeah, you know, Noah's Austin last year. We were on the phone like at like three thirty or four o'clock in the afternoon, I think, or whatever it was. And I remember you were all pumped because you had like Chips Ahoy. You're like, ah, I got <laughs> Chips Ahoy, dude. <laughs> it's like. That's yeah. one of the, that's one of the best things about getting older, like with like being a father and stuff. Is like I don't know, like Nolan has no shot of relating to this kind of conversation. <laughs> but you know what I, I I do? I was talking to Andy about this. Is is my, I, my kids? We buy them a bunch of stuff, you know, from the supermarket, a bunch of like snacky type stuff. And then what winds up happening, it's like a toy at Christmas that somebody gives them. It's like they play with it for a couple of days and then like all of a sudden they don't want it no more. And I, I eat all the kids shit, dude. Like after like three, four days, like that's it. Like there's granola bars, fruit snacks, like whatever it is. Like you just see they, they're done with it already. They're not interested. Hey, Molly, you want a, you want a granola bar? No, no, I kind of don't like them. Oh, you want this? No, I kind of don't like it. You know, we bought her a box of Lucky Charms. She had, like, she opened it. She ate it, like, tried to eat all the marshmallows out. That was basically it. I just ate all the cereal. There you go. Just That's hope good. they don't eat it so it's all for you. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when we buy, we buy them juice and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I'm blessed with really good genetics, man. That's all it is because if I was somebody, like, normal – or whatever, like I, mm -hmm. I, you, you'd have to figure I would have put on like twenty, thirty pounds by now, like <laughs> post kids and everything. But no, no, no. Well, if juice makes you fat. I'm in for a rude wake up call pretty soon here, because I, I am all over the juice. It's the number one cause of obesity in the United States is fruit juice. See, I have a, I have a, a twisted way of looking at it that rationalizes it for myself. Like I understand there's a bunch of sugar and stuff in juice, but I'll just like right before a workout or something, I'll just be like, this is a burst of energy. I'm gonna burn it all right off. So oh, well, that's different. That's different. That's different. But that's... even if I don't have a workout that day, I'm like, we're just storing it for later. You know, like, I guess I will rationalize it. <laughs> Intake versus like, whenever I need it. Nolan, we appreciate you hanging out for episode 26. I think it was a lot of fun. I sincerely wish you the best of luck. Heading out to the Olympic Training Center. When are you due to arrive, if you don't mind me asking? My moving day is August 14th, which is the day before senior world team camp starts. So we'll be right in there for that to start it off. There you go. Okay. Well, listen, thanks very much and best of luck. Yep. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you guys. See ya. Represent your team or club with top quality singlets, board shorts, and two-piece uniforms from BarbarianApparel.com. Get creative with team logos and custom designs that make a statement on and off the mat. Worn by the pros and trusted by national teams all over the world, Barbarian Apparel supplies wrestlers with the look and feel they need to conquer the competition. Team orders and discounts are always available. To learn more, stop by BarbarianApparel.com today and save 10% off using coupon code BA10. Barbarian Apparel. Style everyone notices quality everyone respects now joining me on the program is 2019 u23 world team member lenny merkin from the new jersey regional training center uh lenny thanks for taking the time out tonight and hopping on for episode 26 sure thanks for having me i'm glad to be on uh episode 26 it's pretty sweet uh, first and foremost, this has been something that's been on a lot of people's minds is 
uh, especially for a Greco-Roman athlete, how has it been and what is it like at the NJRTC for you? It's a kind of interesting experience. It's kind of the same way it's been for me all my life. I've just been um, kind of doing my own thing, creating my own training plans with the help of the coaches because uh, partners are a little bit tough to find. And initially I was just drilling with folk style guys. Um, but just recently, earlier this year, we ran into this guy, this Egyptian dude named Tiger. I'm sure you guys have heard of him or he, he made some noise at the Schultz. Yeah, wrestled and, uh, uh, Jamel Johnson in the final. They've worked out together as yeah. well. Yep. Yeah, so he's made some noise in the U.S. and he's been my training partner slash coach slash mentor slash older brother. Um even though he looks younger than me. He's going to make another joke about the 26 saying, you know, it's special to me because that's how old people usually think I am. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, most of my training has been with him. He's been, it's been like one-on-ones kind of whenever I need him, he pulls up and we've been kind of grinding ever since, ever since I first ran into him earlier this year. It's been really, it's been really nice. I mean, everyone's been super supportive, but it's just tough with the Greco technique and Greco, you know, conditioning and everything. It's just not what other people are used to. So you, you need someone that knows what they're doing and that has been on that like world stage and has a weird international, you know, feel. And this has been like nothing but a blessing for me, I think. Explaining this to people outside of New Jersey, but are, but people who are, involved in the Greco community is that New Jersey is a fantastic wrestling state in terms of high school wrestling, folk style wrestling, uh, now college wrestling course and everything else. But New Jersey is not a strong Greco state by any stretch of the imagination. We don't have a ton of coaches. We don't have uh, some kind of hefty athletic pedigree in this style. So piecing it together, as you kind of say, is that's the challenge I would imagine for someone like yourself, especially somebody who has jumped levels the way you have. I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I, I, there's been talk, you know, in the, the coach's office for many, many years already. We want to get a Greco program going. We want to do all this, but when it's actually going to come to fruition, who knows? Maybe it'll take me winning this world title to you know, actually show everyone that Greco is a big enough deal or that there are guys with potential, there are guys with talent that, you know, can also do folk style, right? Like, it's funny, like, I, this year, I kind of, it was kind of like a weird one for me where I wasn't where I wanted to be um, during the season um, in regards to folk style. I wasn't starting most of the year until I kind of got an opportunity to bump up to 165 and, uh, you know, did pretty well there. And once, once that happened, I was like, you know what? maybe it doesn't matter what, if I'm lacking something in folk style, just use what I know from Greco and, and make like, you know, make some, make an, make some noise. And I think that happened at the IWAs. I made some, <laughs> some decent noise, not having touched the leg. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was pretty eye opening for me. And I think just for a lot of the wrestling community as a whole, or at least the Jersey community, they're like, all right, Greco has kind of got some sort of influence on this kid and he's using it. He's using it in a style that we enjoy watching, or like folk style, I guess. That's kind of been the biggest thing. When you have wrestled collegiately, you know, Andrew Barriessa said something uh, similar, how, you know, you 
get into Greco tie-ups, you get to your own hook, you get heavy in the head, guys know you're a Greco wrestler, and they bail. Is that some of what you've experienced? That sounds, sounds about right. I wouldn't say that I force things as much as as uh, Andrew does. I mean, he's really in your face with the Greco and overwhelms you with it. I think mine's more so it sneaks up on you. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, regardless of the fact, guys do see it coming, and they know things are going to get weird, so they definitely try to avoid wrestling. It's a little, little boring sometimes, but you, know, you, make, you make do. Well, what about at EIWAs? Because you wrestled the kid from Brown University. I don't want to – I remember – I don't want to pronounce it weird. I forget what it was. I think it was it's something. John Verouette. Yes, John Verouette. Yeah. Wrestling a guy like that who's clearly talented – clearly skilled at folk style. Do you, when you start fighting to your positions, do you inst- like, do you feel like when I say feel it, I mean like you feel like wrestling is a reactive reflexive, reflexive kind of sport. Do you feel guys resisting once you start, you know, g- getting into, you know, starting to create your lane, starting to fight for your positions. Do you feel them starting to just ease off a little bit? Not in that match. I mean, he, he came at me like I was ready to go upper body, and so was he. He'd wrestled me. I think we'd wrestled each other my freshman year, and the same kind of situation. I bumped up from 157 to go up and wrestle him because we didn't have someone. Uh, and he kind of gave me the works. You know, I tried to do that upper body stuff, and he, he overpowered me then. But and this time, it was pretty evenly, evenly matched up top, and then it's just kind of the little tricks I had little Greco positioning things, just want, maybe wanting it a little bit more. I don't even know what it was, but something clicked for me, and I was able to, you know, pull out the win the first quarterfinal and then later again in the fifth and sixth place match. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Well, I remember when it happened because I remember keeping up. I try to keep up with the Greco guys who wrestle in college, and I saw the box score and I saw the results. I think I might have even checked it out on the Princeton domain itself. And I was just like, all right, good for Merkin. That's one for our side. What I want to know is when we talk about college wrestling and it's, you know, lack of a better term, influence on Greco and vice versa, how does one for you feed the other? You know, we talk about how college. The one, one great attribute of college wrestlers is that when they come into Greco, they bring that grind mentality that just, you know, keep chugging along. You know, they're mentally tough. They're ready mm-hmm. to attack. They're aggressive at the right moments. And that's why you see college guys who are part-time Greco guys come into the U.S. Open and then upset full-timers. But right. how does Greco feed college from a mental aspect as well not just physical like how do they how do these relationships meet in the middle for you i mean you nailed it you nailed it on the head with in regards to the folk style you know helping the greco like i definitely feel like i'm in a better spot conditioning wise and mental mentality wise when i come off the folk style season even though i'm lacking technically but in regards to Greco helping my folk style, that's helped me throughout childhood, throughout all my life. Like I've never, I never knew how to take a shot and I managed to make it through folk style thus far. So I literally, <laughs> le- I literally learned to shoot in my first week of college. Maybe not even then, but like my first year of college was just spent on me learning to take a single normal shot. 
and finishing it to the ground instead of going to the body. Um, but as far as it helping me, I mean, I just, I'm just so much more dangerous. I get to like, you know, it could, it doesn't matter what the score is. I could, you could be on your back in freaking two seconds. Like it really doesn't matter. And that, and it's also a mentality thing, right? So like, if I know I'm this dangerous and not everyone does, I feel comfortable being, I mean, like, I don't want to be down by like six points, but if I'm down six points, I'm fine. Like, and, and if I lose, I learn. If I win, then great. But that's kind of where the two overlap for me. I feel like there's like a danger aspect and the conditioning aspect that both, both of the styles can provide. When you say that you learned how to take a shot and finish a shot your first year of school. Now, I'm not listening. I am not teasing you because you are short, but I would think the fact that you are short and compact, wouldn't that make just darting in on low singles and all that kind of stuff easy for you? I mean, it's easy to dive in. It's hard to come out. <laughs> <laughs> so I would much rather, you know, I would much rather sneak by a guy and get like a slick duck than go through the, you know, the grueling, you know, hold on to a leg till the guy gives up sort of deal. So I was more of like a, a finesse wrestler, right? So until I got to college where you, you learn to grind and you learn to hold on to things and finish. Whereas before I would kind of let the guy's motion take him down in the mat and then I'd do the minimal amount of work that I could. Well, hand so I like to conserve too, right? my energy. Hand yeah, yeah. That's another yeah. big thing that transfers over from college to Greco for sure and and so on. What is your field of study over at Princeton? So right now I'm doing uh, civil engineering with uh, kind of a focus. We, we were in this program. It's called civil engineering in the liberal arts. When I say we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> it's called civil engineering in the liberal arts, and that kind of allows me to take to graduate with a bachelor's in, in civil engineering, but at the same time, I get a little more flexibility than the average civil engineer would. So I can take, you know, entrepreneurship classes, business classes, and things of that nature to kind of expand and learn where this, where my field can, what it can grow into, right? So I can, so I'm not just the technical guy crunching numbers so I can open up my own business and kind of, you know, grow an empire or something of that sort, right? I'm really not sure where I'm at exactly yet, but I, I wanted something that would broaden my scope more than just sitting there behind a desk and seeing if a building can stand still or not. How do people from Princeton view the other Ivy League colleges? How do you... is, is they're the same kind of rivalries that exist in football. I mean, there's always beef. Like you always, you want your school to be the best and you're convinced that it is. But at the end of the day, like it's just, it's just college. I don't think it's, everyone's doing the same things. There may be a little bit of difference in, you know, rigor, or, but if you want straight A's, you're going to have to earn them. If you want, if you want to fail out, you're going to have to earn that too. It's the same in all all schools. Um, that's my that's my opinion. I also just haven't been anywhere else, so I wouldn't know. Well, no. Let me reshape it then. Is that in in football? You know, when you know Harvard plays whomever, it's a big deal. They they 
put it on TV. Obviously, wrestling is not going to be on TV in, in that sense, probably. But mm-hmm. in basketball, even the you know ESPN will play like some Ivy League showdown and stuff like that. But is wrestling just too obscure to where there's not the same kind of heat? Not from the school, but our team. There's definitely like you know, there's definitely different hype for different teams. We don't get too excited about any Ivies other than Cornell. Um, that's our main goal for, like, the, from the Princeton side. We of just want yes. We got to finally beat Cornell, and then Rutgers will go down to in the same, hopefully, in the same year, take down two red schools in one go. That's kind of that's that's our main rival, and that's our main, you know, real like internal belief. Like that, that's what we believe that we need to do as a team, but not it hasn't yet trickled down into the school, um, or at least not in, not in the wrestling yet. So let's double back to a couple of your performances this past season. Well, actually, this current season, I suppose. The Open was just like last year. This year, again, it carried the implication where if you won, you automatically earned a bye to the Final X, which is the World Team Trial Finals. And 72 kilograms is a, you know, it's a deep weight. And there, especially this season, there's plenty of tough guys who showed up. There was, uh, of course, we saw Ray Bunker advance to the final and, uh, you know, unseat Ray Vaughn Perkins, which I think was probably the biggest upset of the entire tournament period. When you know that this is going to be it, this is the open and it's not just the open. It comes with that carrot dangling from the string attached to it. What is your mentality going into it, knowing how, you know, the stakes are a little bit different this time around? Honestly, for me, that, that first tournament, it's always, it's always the most fun, right? For me, it was a lot, it was a test and I came into it knowing that I just needed to see where I was at. I hadn't gotten, you know, we had just come off the collegiate season, had our little week off break and, and I started training again, slowly but surely getting my Greco technique back to, or, you know, approaching to where I left it the year prior and, you know, a lot of it was just seeing where I was at in terms of one conditioning, two technique, three tactics. Um, and some, some of those were there, others, not so much. I hadn't seen, you know, what I had wrestled, I had wrestled bunker prior. Uh, I think it was a year before that or two years before that. And, you know, I kind of just figured, oh, okay, like, things are just going to be, things aren't going to change much. But it's still going to be a challenge, you know, to win this whole thing. This is my first senior tournament, or one of my first uh, senior tournaments. And so I went in there thinking, hey, it's just a practice round. Let's just make some fireworks, as usual. I like to score points, like to kind of show people what I can do. Um, but I went, you know, I learned, I lost. I should say I lost and I learned, but no, it was definitely, I think it was definitely something that I needed to do. I had to, there were, there was questions about me actually not going out there and, you know, saving myself for the trials, but I figured that that's useless. I just got to get out as much as possible because otherwise I'm not going to be able to, you know, really gauge where I'm at. Um, and I thought, I, th- I thought I, you know, did pretty well. I, I, I showed what I could do with the training that I had with the, couple weeks that i you know put into it i got what what i put in it was a good learning experience did you like the fact that there was a you know pretty quick turnaround between that and the trials challenge tournament in raleigh i mean i can't say that i liked it i didn't mind it for sure 
because you know I came off there thinking, hey, like I bunker sitting now. Now I can actually, you know, now I think I can make this shot and give another go at him. But you know, I made some mistakes. My folk style, my folk style caught up with me. Think I thought I could do, you know, I thought I could hit some escapes from bottom. Where, whereas Greco, you know, you should just be defending for the most part. I ended up getting fived in one of my quarterfinal matches. I think it was against Tarpley. And just couldn't come back. But yeah, I mean, once again, that happened to me at the Schultz against Bunker. I should have made a huge note of that. And, you know, it was just instinct that kicked in. And I did the same thing against Tarpley and gave away the match. Just gave away five points and there's no coming back. Or it's very hard to come back once you, once you do that. But I think the rest of the tournament, I mean, the rest of the day, I wrestled, you know, as well as I could have. And I got, I got to see Sancho again. I felt really good against him up until he got called for passive and, you know, things kind of went a little bit, you know, astray. But aside from that, it was another, you know, very good gauge for where where I'm at. Like, I'm hanging with the best of them with just very small, minor adjustments. Well, the Tarpley, the Tarpley is interesting because after that match, if I'm not mistaken, Tarpley had Mossing and mm-hmm. Mossing Tarpley was, uh, you know, that was a chaotic match as well. And, uh, certainly a lot of people who felt that, uh, Tarpley got hosed a bit. But, uh, you know, the officiating is never consistent. I don't know why anybody would expect it to change anytime soon for sure. When you go and you say the word gauge, following a tournament, do you, I don't, I don't know if you have a notebook. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you take stock, but is there after action report sort of situation that you have with either, you know, inwardly with yourself or with your coaches? Like, do you talk about things? Do you look at matches from the previous tournament and then game plan adjustments and that sort of thing? Yeah, we watch, um, we definitely watch film. I like to watch, you know, where things went wrong or where I think I messed up and then take a mental note of it. But I don't, I don't drill specifics. I, I drill the whole thing, right? Wrestling, it's, to me, it's just, it's, it's all an art, right? So I, I'll, I'll look at the speci- I'll look at the specific point where I screwed up or where I, you know, may have made the wrong decision. A lot of the times it's tactical and not technical. So those are pretty easy adjustments to make. It's just in practice I have to start incorporating a different tactical approach and maybe not be as loose as I normally am. Um, but yeah, we definitely look at it. I acknowledge it and try not to do it again. But in the short time that I get to train, I don't like to isolate myself to one thing. I like to kind of get my body to feel every position as much as possible. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at in terms of the post tournament. You know, I like to gauge where I'm at overall instead of where I'm at position by position. We had talked about this prior to coming on the air, and you were like, hey, you know, yeah, I do things a little differently. We can kind of talk about that. So let's talk about that. The way that you're describing it is sounds a lot like – now, don't get me don't get me wrong. I'm sure if that you had won 
And I mean, observationally, I don't think you do, but I'm sure if you thought you had one glaring deficiency, that would be a point mm-hmm. of concentration for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is almost like likening it to a bodybuilder versus someone who is training for functional strength almost, whereas a bodybuilder mm-hmm. is going to go in and isolate muscle groups and everything else. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somebody who was going for functional strength might do something more along the lines of, uh, I don't know, a CrossFit, let's say, or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. What I would like in your approach to, like, you're, you seem to be somebody who likes to train via instinct as well. Like, you like to have your body kind of feel things naturally. That way it becomes locked into muscle memory as opposed to forcing it through whatever kind of biometrics people like to abide by nowadays. Yeah, yeah, no, you you hit the nail right on the head. I'm a huge feel it guy, feel for it, feel about it, like just get in there. Right? Like you can talk about, you know, drill this, drill that, but if if you don't know when you're going to be hitting these moves or like the exact moment or you haven't felt that exact position or that type of position, the move the drilling the move won't do anything for you. I mean, you know, you can be, you can be hitting an arm drag on the freaking air or you could be hitting it on an arm, depending on, you know, if you've been in that position before, if you get luckier, if you don't, I, I mean, I, I, I choose when I wrestle, I don't want to get lucky. I want to, I want to get to somewhere where I've, you know, feel comfortable where I've been before. And it, I try to expose myself to as many unusual situations as possible and from those unusual situations, I, I learned the most, I feel like. And I learned the coolest things about my body, about balance, about, how do I put it, about, you know, the mechanics of my opponent's body. Like, where do I need to push him? And that type of stuff can be taught. But if it's taught improperly, can, it can lead to some, in my, in my experience, I've been, you know, like, it can lead to some like very odd habits. And I don't, I don't know if I want to develop those habits. I'd prefer to everyone's body moves differently and everyone's got the things that work for them, especially in wrestling. That's huge. Like you can't just teach the same person. You can't teach different people the same exact technique because it just won't work. Right. Like some people have a longer neck so they can use it better or they have a shorter, weaker neck and they can't use it at all. And you got to, you got to accept what you have, I think, and make the most of it. Customizing is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So I've customized wrestling to my body and I've customized my body to my wrestling, if that's one way to put it. So people will watch me and I'll, I, I mean, I won't be putting any, like any strength into, you know, I'll just be flowing and letting kind of my body move until I see that I'm in a good position. And then I'll you know, I'll think about it. I'll be like, hey, like, what can you do from here? And that's how most of my practices are. I'll be flowing until I see something that I like or until my, you know, my training partner sees something that's a little strange and was like, well, let's stop here. Let's like, you know, like try to figure this out. And so we'll do that a couple of times and then flow back again. And it it makes it so much more fun than just, you know, it turns into kind of like a, a dance or like a part of you than when you're just, your coach like or somebody is yelling at you to do the same move a million and a half times like which is good you have to do that but there's a certain limit 
to how how far I think that can get you if you don't have a good feel for for yourself and for your opponent and for the, the sport. Well, you're saying the word feel, okay? And if there's one thing we hear about American Greco-Roman wrestlers, it's that we lack feel comparative to the Europeans and the Asians and the Eastern Europeans and everybody else. I mean, it's a feel sport, right? So I would think that it would be a good idea to understand feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's partially why I'm trying to I'm trying to get my hands on as many as many foreigners or you know especially this year I'm dedicating a lot of my time to going overseas or planning to go overseas just to, to see how different that feel is. Because I, I, I mean, I've wrestled foreigners, I've wrestled some Swedes and trained with some Russians. I, but it's, it's not the same. It's not being in their system. It's not being in their environment. You know, it'd, it'd be nice to see how, how they go about one wrestling and two just, the, the, just learning that feel and getting used to it before the world championships and before the trials and before the Olympics, all that stuff. Speaking of the trials, let's talk about the U23 trials because in the finals you had someone who I think is one of the most ferocious young competitors we have in the country in Britain, Holmes. He's just a tough guy. He's just a tough guy. And your first match with him, no, obviously you've crossed paths, but your first match with him was... A pretty starting off as a grinded out kind of match. He had a, I'm going by pretty concise memory here. If I'm not mistaken, he had a two to one or one nothing, two to one lead, I think, going into the second. And you went double hover hooked, you know, tossed him for four points. I think you wound up winning five to three or five to two. And, and that would seem to set up another rough, rough kind of, bout for the second match and you ended it quickly uh you went ahead got head and arm bombed him over the top held him there and then pinned him before, you know i think i think in inside of a minute or somewhere close to that what was that like that you know not to be cliche hey what was it like man what was going through your mind man but like winning a spot on a world team and doing it so emphatically do you remember your state of mind in the immediate moments following that win? I mean, the only thing I can say or that I, that I remember feeling in that moment was squeeze. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never squeezed someone, someone harder in my life. I was scared for the kid's safety. Um, you know, I knew, I, like, I, I do know him. I, I actually warmed up with him, like, I think the day before the second day of the trials or something along those lines, or maybe the tournament before we'd help each other cut weight. And we're like, ah, like we kind of have a mutual respect for one another. It's like, it's pretty cool. Um, but I didn't know. I, I, I honestly, I mean, I knew he could had he could have made the finals. I knew anyone could have made the finals, but it, it helped me a little bit knowing I kind of knew a little bit of what was coming my way. Um, and that, that kind of, ease my mind a little bit and those you know that last that headlock that I hit you know it was just second nature and at the end of once once I felt him flying I knew it was done I think I, I'd hit him and I'd hit him in a headlock before and it it's that type of move where you know like when you know you got it you got it and that's kind of how I felt 
at that moment, I was like, wow, like you just made a team. And I've been training for this since I was four years old. I've missed narrowly so many times, gotten third seconds. And, you know, it's finally all this hard work turns into one headlock. It's like, damn. <laughs> that's wow, that's it, nice... Pretty much, I was just pretty surprised. And, you know, it was, I don't know if, how it followed up against Baker's headlock. He had oh, a pretty a wild one. one. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, you both had uh, yeah, you both had your moments with the headlock. That I day. mean, I wasn't I wasn't trying to one up him or anything. It just happened <laughs> to be that we. It is what it is, you know. Well, but it that was, that was, it was a beautiful experience. headlock, and he's a tough guy to one up, uh, Nolan Baker. Yeah, especially that Absolutely. headlock in match two against Omania when he had it stripped, yeah. and then he like I mean, he's. Uh, He's like a virtuoso with a musical instrument. Like, that's what he is, <laughs> headlock. Yeah, that's right. You got some time. That's the one thing about the U23 World Championships is that they put it later than everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think last year it was a similar kind of gap. I think the U23 team was selected first day or two of June, and then the U23 Worlds wasn't until some, somewhere around mid-September. It's a little bit earlier this year, but not by much. Uh, you are somebody who also has collegiate concerns as well. So how does this fit into you, the training plan and everything else? Well, so... I- I mean, after making the team and kind of a little bit before then, I you know, thought about taking a year off to make the Olympic team. And I think that just came to fruition the second I made the world team. I was like, I need to take this year off. Um, so now I'm just going to be solely focused on Greco all of next year. So you are so that uh, that is breaking kind of news then. So you are Olympic redshirting. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Call, we're calling it a gap year here because we don't necessarily have red shirts or whatever but you know it's a gap year with a focus on the olympics yeah okay given the fact that you don't have a bevy of training partners and aside from whatever is going to happen with the u23 world team uh training camp as a unit what is your what is what has anyway we're in july so what has your training plan looked like if it's any different than what you described already and if anything what do you have coming up in the somewhat immediate future to address your training plan for the u23 worlds i mean my home base i guess would be would be princeton right so i do have my my egyptians here when i need them i got tiger i got some of his buddies some other world level world-class athletes that I can train with, but ideally I want to make the most of my year off and, you know, travel and see all the different, and see and feel all the different, you know, Greco styles. Right. So immediately I'm thinking, you know, I got ties in Russia and Belarus. I've never been, but now's the perfect time to explore those. And so uh, coming in October, in, in the middle of August, I'll be going out to Colorado, hopefully. I'm still in the middle of fleshing all of this out, but my, the plan is to go to Colorado, do the, you know, the world camp. team camp yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, you know, take a little break, take a couple of days or a week off and shoot myself into Belarus for their pre-world training camp. Um, and so I have some connections over there that 
you know, they've helped me organize some of that and it's not finished yet, but hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I'll be booking my ticket. And so that's kind of the immediate plans pre pre worlds. And I'll come back to, you know, home base, home base in Jersey. How do you like New Jersey? Man, it's been good to me so far. Can't complain. I, I I can't speak to New Jersey as a state overall, but Princeton's been great. Very nice little town. Okay, well, what have since you've been at Princeton? It's not like you grew up five hours away anyway. Right. What when you think of New Jersey outside of Princeton? When you if you have a let's say a couple of days and or something like that, and it's like, hey, Lenny, let's go do something. Let's you know whatever. Not sightseeing because we don't have a ton of sights outside of Jersey City. Yeah. What, what would you want to do? Like, where would you want to go? What, like, okay, like, so you understand that New Jersey has, for instance, New Jersey's screwy because New Jersey has northeastern New Jersey, where I'm from, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a very densely populated area, and it's a, you know, a lot of it's a city kind of environment, and then you also have parts of New Jersey that are freaking rural. And I mean, mm-hmm. Princeton, some, a lot of the areas surrounding Princeton and in and around Middlesex County looks rural. So it's messed up a little bit, I would say. Uh, what, what about you? Like when you think about traveling around the state and it's not a hard state to travel around considering its size, what do you, what do you like to do? Now, I've actually never thought about that. Every time I travel, you know, from Princeton, it's just usually to New York City, usually, usually home. <laughs> So I don't I don't tour Jersey for fun. I've had enough of touring Jersey as a kid. My parents used to, or my dad used to drive me up to tournaments here. So I've seen a lot of it. Didn't like a lot of it because you know, as a kid traveling, <laughs> the wrestling tournaments. Uh, Most of the time, I was either crying or throwing up in the back seat. So I, you know, I had some pretty bad memories here. What, I don't want to bring you those back. Sick? Oh, I used to get car sick and you know, cry sick. Every every sort of sick I used to get. <laughs> On the way to tournaments, I wouldn't want to wrestle. I'd go out on the mat crying and be pinning a kid, and I want to go home. That's 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 kind of what I was doing. You like the shore, yeah? Oh, I love the shore. I had a good time at the shore, but that, that's about it, honestly. I, I would say, all right, if I did have to visit one place, it would be the shore. But even then, I'm skeptical because I lo- I did drown my phone in water there like that's two right. days ago. So yeah. Well, you know what? Okay, so I, as you know that I'm not I'm not from the Jersey Shore area. I live in the Jersey Shore area. My mm-hmm. wife is is from this area, and you know, and I I've been living here for the better part of no, I mean I've been living in this area over a decade now. And the one thing is, people in this area don't like the people who live here don't don't love. I shouldn't say don't like, but don't love is they don't like out of towners. They don't. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of derogatory names for people who uh, come to the beach. They people, oh, they come to our beaches. They create traffic <laughs> and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I take it personally a little bit because I'm not originally from here. And yeah. so I'm like, yeah, well, if it wasn't for these out of towners, for these, they call them Bennies. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> but if if it wasn't for these people who come here, then. They help stimulate the economy for the four, three, four months of the summer. They're the reason why your property value is what it is, you know? Like, uh, I stand up for everybody. I mean, you don't have to be in Princeton. You could be in Brooklyn and come here, you know? We got plenty of those. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the deal. 
but people love the shore, and I don't blame them. I no, love being sure. near the shore, you know, the air. I live, like, just a couple of miles from the beach, and when the uh, when the wind is blowing in from the water, you even this far away, you smell the bluefish. I love it. Oh, yeah. That's great. It is. I also, you know, like I grew up in Coney Island um, in Brooklyn, and my dad's always, I mean, I still live there now, but my dad's always, you know, he's one of those guys that doesn't like people visiting because he doesn't like traffic. So he'll be like kind of grumpy when people come and when we have parades and fun things, he'll be like, ah, you know what? Shut the stuff down. Like (laughs) I gotta, I gotta go get like some pickles from the store or something. Exactly right. And well, Coney Island's different because Coney Island's much more of a destination, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, It's different. It's different. If you would, uh, before we wrap up, if you would explain to the audience, uh, I think a lot of them would want to hear this. Uh, can you describe the dynamic uh, between you and Joe Ussolini and why you got to know this man? Um, so I first met Joe Ussolini, I believe it was like Fargo camp, my first or second year at Fargo. Uh, or Actually, no, it was Cadet Duels in Daytona Beach, Florida. And so I was like, you know, very enthusiastic to go. And I was like, hey, listen, Joe, like, I'm a, I'm a huge, like he was talking to his wife. He's like, his wife's a massage therapist. And I was like, you know, I love massages. My neck's real sore. Like, you think we could find something in Daytona beach? And he was like, you know, it was like me, him and like another coach and another kid just hanging out, like talking while everyone was like swimming. And so I was like, Hey, listen, Joe, like find a place like on Google maps. Like, can we check it out? Like, let's take this rent. Like we have two days till we wrestle. We're just hanging out. Let's go check it out. So we get to this massage parlor, massage parlor in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so the word it's me. Jo- I already know. So. Right, and so we get there, and we we step outside, and we see bars on the windows, and I'm I'm still walking towards it because I don't know what that means. But Joe is like looking back at you know his other his other co-coach. I think it was Coach Servadon from Columbia um, High School, and he we're kind of just like. You know, I'm walking in there, you know, all cocky, and I'm like, I want my massage. And they're, like, kind of slowing down. I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> we see the bars. Like, we see, like, a red curtain. I walk in, the little doorbell rings. And we see this lady behind the counter kind of, like, hide. And we're like, listen, I'm just here for a massage. Like, she starts asking me, like, all these questions. She's like, oh, like, where are you coming from? Like, you're 18. I was like, how old are you? And she was like, how old are you? And I was like, listen. It doesn't matter. I just want my massage. Like, you, you guys got him or no? And, and so Joe looks at me and he goes, listen, Lenny, I don't know if this is the kind of massage you need before you go out to conduct the <laughs> Like, I'll get, my, I'll get my wife out here before I send you into one of those curtain rooms. So that was our kind of our first, like, you know, jokester interaction. And then he saw some headlocks and, you know, he, he got that headlock city thing going. Headlock. Yeah. Headlock nation. That's right. He he really, he really liked, you know, like I love being coached by him and he really liked kind of what I, the kind of Greco that I brought to the table was just different. Like there's a different feel about me, you know, and we just got along very well. Like I had wrestled some of his students and I don't know, the relationship just kind of blossomed ever since then. And, you know, when we got back, his wife did give me the massage. Finally, I was very happy. Um, you know, <laughs> and things were smooth sailing ever since. And now he's got his own training center that I think he's he's just putting together. Or he he just finished putting together, and yeah, it's, it's massive. Absolutely sick. It's absolutely sick. I wish I had a license so I could drive over there and just 
you know, live in the mat, like live on the mats. Like Pat Downey says, you know, world champ or homeless. I wish I could do that too. Um, world champ or Usolini's yeah. floor. Or Usolini's floor. That's right. It's better than homeless. You get you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> uh, they didn't have massage parlors in the BK growing up? So funny enough, I was so used – so I had this – I didn't have a massage parlor. I had a massage guy. So this this Georgian – former Georgian wrestling coach – from like from Georgia, like not Atlanta. I know what you mean. As Ayers, Ayers, so whenever I mention Georgia to, to Coach Ayers, he's always like, "Oh, you mean Atlanta, right?" So he always hits me with that stuff. So I just like to clarify. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so he he was like a family friend, and he would always come over and you know give us these. Like we have a massage table at our house. Like that's how committed we got. Eventually, at first he would bring his own, and then we started seeing him so often that we were like, you know what, it's time to, time to invest in one ourselves. And so massage has been a huge part of my life. Like absolutely life changing mood boosting, just, you know, you, you feel like you can move again. It's great. It's, it's, it's really great. I'm glad me and Joe and his wife overlapped over that. We have the same recovery philosophy and a lot of different philosophies very much on the same page. No, I think that's perfect. I think that's a perfect way to put it. I think that's a perfect way to end it. All right, Lenny Merkin, 72 kilograms, 2019 U23 World Team member, Princeton Tiger, uh, civil engineering with a uh, focus on civil engineering for liberal arts or whatever that means. Brooklyn born, Brooklyn raised, and uh, wouldn't you know it, also Eastern European by descent. So Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, and that was Lenny Merkin, who, along with Nolan Baker, is one of our young, tough, and talented seniors on the cusp of jumping levels. And it's important to get to know these guys. It's important to get to know them as humans off the mat. It's important to get to know who they are as athletes and their approaches and their dedication and everything that goes along with their careers. That's what this is all about. That is what Five Point Move, the platform, is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. It is something I certainly take extremely seriously, and I hope you do as well. On that note, I'd like to send a special shout-out to Jason Bryant. I'm sure if Hall was involved in the closing, he would echo these sentiments. Is because of Jason Bryant and Matt Talk Online why we are able to do this podcast and why we are able to have another venue in which to push and promote the Greco-Roman athletes as well as the sport itself. So certainly a very big thank you to Jason Bryan for all of his support. It has meant everything. Social media concerns. Okay, Nolan Baker. You can find Nolan Baker on Twitter at TheRealBaker95. And on Instagram, I've I've written I've wrote this down and I don't even know what the hell it means. Um, Instagram, his handle is Nolan, but instead of with an A, it's with an E, so it's Nolen N O L E N C H U F E Baker. So Nolan Chuf, is that the word Chuf Baker? One word. That's yeah. That's his Instagram handle. So please. 
follow him. Lenny Merkin is only on Instagram. He doesn't play around with Twitter these days, and he's got the best, best Instagram handle. Get murked all day. <laughs> Get murked all day. G E T M E R K E D all day. One word. That's Lenny Merkin on Instagram. What is coming up? What is coming up? I have, see, look at, look at that. I have paper, paper so I can write this down. As we mentioned, Pan Am's. Pan Am Games Camp. That's Hall was right. That that kicked off. Athletes got in Wednesday night, and action in the wrestling room and elsewhere around the OTC. That starts Thursday. So that's probably when you're listening to this or in and around that time. And we have the plan, the training plan up on fivepointmove.com if you want to take a look at that. We uh, hope to be able to bring you some perspectives from camp. That is the plan. Not to overuse the word plan, but hey, that's life. As mentioned, Nate Engel will be arriving in Finland very shortly for a series of duels featuring several members of the junior team. And I've I've went back and made sure I got the roster right. That's Dylan Ragason at 55. Tyler Eichens, of course. Nate has him at Stanford. He's at 72 kilos. Jack Irvian at 77. Zach Braunagel at 82. Those are the junior world team members going with Nate. And then there is Tommy Dantzler also at 82 kilograms. Fargo next week. Fargo next week. You have the wrestle-off for the 55-kilogram spot on the U23 world team between Liam Cronin and Brady Kuntz. And that is going to actually take place on the day the cadets are winding down and the juniors are heating up. We're talking Greco, of course. We'll have recaps of all that stuff with some other Fargo perspectives as well, so stay tuned for that. If you would like to follow Dennis Hall on Twitter, he said he was going to do something before the next recording. He said he was going to send out some kind of post, some kind of tweet, whatever, but he's obviously done nothing. But still, let's take him at his word that he's going to wind up figuring that out somehow or another. I don't, I, I don't know why it's confusing to him. Uh, follow Dennis Hall on Twitter at Dennis Hall WGW. And for USA Greco-Roman news and athlete perspectives, please go to 5.com and follow along on Twitter at 5, number 5, PT. That's it for episode 26, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.